Okay, reading from Psalm 13. For the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in you and your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And then Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Yeah. Good morning. My name is Trace, as I've introduced myself, and I'm so privileged to be here, uh, to be open God's word with you, especially on the very first Sunday of 2021. Um, so I, uh, like Scott mentioned, I've been doing an apprenticeship, a ministry apprenticeship with Trinity Church Adelaide in the city and had the privilege there of looking after a young adult ministry for about one and a half years now. Um, and yeah, and that's coming to an end this month. And so you can imagine my excitement when I got the opportunity to preach a sermon in the very last month of my apprenticeship and to be doing it here at Paraka because I'd never come. Um, so I'm, I'm really, really privileged to be here. So for the next um, 20 to 25 minutes, perhaps, we will be uh, reflecting, spending time in Psalm 13. Why this psalm? Well, because in this psalm, David has questions for God. Uh, and I gather that you are about to embark on a preaching series doing exactly that, uh, asking your questions of God. So my hope is that you know, in the time that we spend together in this psalm, that we will uh, be encouraged uh, and find confidence to do that better, uh, to ask our questions of God. Now, if at any point you doze off as I as I preach, uh, we only have I only have one point I really would love you to take away, which is that David wrestles with his questions about God's world in light of God's word. David wrestles with questions about God's world in light of God's word. And to prepare our hearts and minds for God's word, let me pray for us. Loving Father, thank you for carrying us through 2020 and bringing us into a new year. Thank you that because of your son Jesus, we can have confidence to approach your throne of grace. As we reflect on your word this morning, teach us how to wrestle with the questions we have about your world in light of who you have revealed yourself to be in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So Psalm 13 is a very short psalm, just six verses, and you could break it down in different ways. I have broken it down into three parts. 
and that's how I intend to uh, walk through it uh, with you together this morning. So verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and 5 and 6. And so I'll have three points to make from those sections as we go. So the first point I would love to make is from verses 1 and 2, that David has questions for God about his world. And I'll read it for you there. So verses 1 and 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David has questions for God about the circumstances of his life that he is struggling to manage. You can tell from David's questions that he is in a desperate situation. He feels abandoned by God and left alone to fend for himself in verse 1. And he has been in this state of anguish for days in verse 2, wondering how long it's going to take before God rescues him from his enemy. Well, David doesn't say who the enemy is pursuing him in this passage. We could make an informed guess from the descriptions of his life elsewhere in the Bible. For example, there are at least two enemies that stand out from the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. So King Saul, David's predecessor as king of Israel, and Absalom, David's son, who both pursued him relentlessly to kill him. Whatever the case, examining the nature of David's questions in verses 1 and 2, it is clear that his distress is not so much from the enemy pursuing him, but rather that God has abandoned him in his time of need. And so he's asking how long it will take for God to rescue him. Because, you see, David has faced numerous enemies in the past. He had to kill a lion and a bear that were attacking his father's sheep, and even killed Goliath, a Philistine giant soldier that threatened Israel's armies. But in each of those cases, God was present to rescue him. And so he is right to expect that God should save him from his current enemy. His expectations are completely reasonable. And so when they are not met, it's right that he questions God. Now we too have expectations of the people in our lives based on our relationships with them. Those we consider close friends, we have more expectations from them than those who are strangers. For example, I expect that uh, my friends will remember my birthday. And on my birthday, they will wish me a good birthday. Now that I've told you, it's the 25th of June, actually. And now that I've told you and I consider you my friends, I expect you to remember. Unfortunately, I sometimes have had to remind even my own sibling to wish me well on my birthday. But the point I'm making is that it's entirely reasonable for David to have expectations of God because of his relationship with him. And therefore to ask questions of him when those expectations are not met. Without wanting to drag you back to 2020, it has been a year of questions for many people. It's been full of COVID disruptions, deaths, droughts, bushfires, social injustices, rumors of war in South China Sea, wars in Africa and the Middle East. It's perfectly reasonable that those who believe in God might have wondered whether he has forgotten us. 
In reading Psalm 13, we should find the permission to follow in David's footsteps and ask questions of God. Because like David, we too have expectations of him based on our relationship with him. And you can see believers in God do exactly that in other parts of scripture too. For example, God welcomed Job's questions about what he perceived to be unjust suffering and rebuked Job's friends for trying to shut him up. God welcomed Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. He welcomed his questions about his methods of judging Israel that to him seemed violent and ungodly. Christ himself asked of his father on the cross in Matthew 27:46, when he cried out aloud on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we too should feel confident to approach God with our questions about his world. And that's the first point. The second point I'd love to make um, is that David takes his questions to God in faith. If it's proper to inquire of God about his world, how do we do so? And I think David shows us how in the rest of this psalm. So please read with me verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. What I immediately recognize in the first line of verse 3 is the way David addresses God as he approaches him. David addresses God with his personal name, Yahweh. That's why the English Bible translates the word Lord at the end of the verse in capital letters. In fact, three times in this psalm, David addresses God with his personal name in verse 1, in verse 3, and in verse 6. Now, why is that important? It's important because it means David knows that he is approaching a specific God. In fact, his God, Yahweh my God, in verse 3, who has revealed himself to Israel in the past and entered into a relationship with the Israelites. Therefore, in using his personal name, David is approaching God in relationship and in reverence. He recognizes that the one whose audience he seeks is no ordinary or made-up being, but, the, but rather the God of the universe, who has created and sustains all things, and yet has in his mercy revealed himself to Israel. This is why David can be confident to seek answers from his God. Because if he has created and sustains the world, it implies that he has full control even over David's circumstances, and is therefore able to provide answers. It's also the reason why David is not simply asking for answers, although a philosophical understanding of his difficult circumstances would be enough. Instead, David comes seeking affection from God. Hence his request, look on me and answer, or I die. For David, the abiding presence of God is life itself, the absence of which, in the absence of which he is as good as dead. 
You get the sense in reading verse 4 that the triumph of David's enemies is only because of God's absence in his life. Verse 4, And my enemies will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. So David's faith in God and the God of Israel is what informs the way he approaches him with his questions, both with confidence and in humility. David trusts in God, and so he feels safe to bring his grievances before him. Now, we too are encouraged to have the same attitude when we come before God, seeking for wisdom. So in a New Testament letter written by James in chapter 1 and verse 5, we read that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Therefore, like David, we too should feel confident to approach God with our questions about his world. But when we do, we should approach him with confidence as our father and in humility because he's our creator. That's the second point I wanted to make. The third and final point is that David wrestles with his questions about God's world in light of God's word. Now you might ask, how does that work? How is David able to both question God about his suffering while at the same time expressing his faith in God? After all, for many, both Christians and non-Christians, suffering is the very reason they reject or fall away from faith. So when we ask questions about the suffering in our life or in the world around us, it's done to ex- not to express our faith in God, but rather to express doubt that he cares or unbelief that he even exists at all. And to answer that, let's turn to verses 5 and 6. So I'll read them for us. So verse 5, But I trust in your unfailing love, My heart rejoices in your salvation. I'll sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Now there seems to be a big change in the direction of David's prayer from verses 4 to verse 5. It almost sounds like a a very different David. Although something has changed in him or in his circumstances. Whereas he was feeling forgotten in verse 1, he now trusts in God's unfailing love. His heart was full of sorrow in verse 2, but he's now filled with the joy of God's salvation. And where the enemy was almost overcoming him, he now celebrates the goodness of God to him. This section reads like it's coming from a very different David altogether. Or is it? Now this psalm is one short prayer, and it's unlikely that anything has changed in David's circumstances between verses 4 and 5. But if it did, that would be the fastest answered prayer in record. (laughs) I think that instead, David demonstrates for us here how to both confidently hold onto the statements of verse 5 and 6 
so what we know to be true about God, even when feeling like verses 1 and 4, abandoned and confused about God's world. In fact, as we've seen in verse 3 and 4, it's David's knowledge of God that gives him the confidence to ask questions about God's world. So what does David know about his God? In verse 5, David trusts in God's unfailing love which might be referring to God's unfailing love for him as a person or for the nation of Israel, as David details in another psalm, Psalm 103. Furthermore, David rejoices in God's salvation, referring to God's pattern of saving his people and his promise to faithfully keep doing so. And finally, in verse 6, David praises God for his goodness to him. In other words, David is wrestling with his questions about God's world in light of what he knows about God's steadfast character, his promises, and his providence as revealed in God's word. So we too can wrestle with our questions about God's world while upholding what we know to be true of him as he has revealed himself in his word. In fact, our knowledge of God is what enables us to confidently wrestle with the questions about his world. And we on this side of the cross are better placed to wrestle with these questions because we have a more complete understanding of God than David ever had. That's what our second reading from Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 to 4 was about. And I'll read it for us. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, an exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So in Jesus, we have come face to face with God himself. And everything we need to know of God has been revealed to us by his son, Jesus, in his word. Recorded down here for us in the Bible. Unlike David, our knowledge of God is not simply abstract head knowledge, but relational. Because in Jesus, God has purified us from our sins and adopted us as his children. It's what the last part of verse 3 in Hebrews 1 says. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Therefore, in following David's example, we should feel confident to approach God with our questions about his world, do so in faith, and in light of what we know of him as he has revealed himself most fully in his son Jesus. If you're not a believer in God, can I again thank you for joining us this morning? I hope that this passage has encouraged you to consider exploring what God has revealed of himself in his world and ultimately in his son Jesus. Because having done so, you'll be better placed to inquire about the things that you do not understand in his world. But ultimately to come into a loving relationship with him where you can be safe to ask your questions of him. 
And if you're a Christian, I hope that this passage has given you confidence and shown you how to wrestle with the questions you have about God's world in light of his word. So as we prepare to wrestle with questions we have for God in the upcoming preaching series next Sunday, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the creator of our universe, whose ways are above ours and thoughts above our own. Yet in Jesus, you have come down to us to redeem us from sin and adopt us into your family. Give us the confidence, we pray, to wrestle with the things about your world that we do not understand and to do so trusting that you love us and will in time bring all of our questions to rest when Jesus returns to take us home. In his name we pray. Amen.